Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this new episode of Founder Series, we are sitting down with Zach Stein, co-founder of Carbon Collective, the first online investment advisor 100% focused on climate change. When Zach founded the company, he understood that a lot of workers in the sustainability sector were not offered retirement plans that matched their values and their work. Furthermore, he saw a clear gap in the market for investment that was not just greenwashing, but provided transparent investments in climate change. Through Carbon Collective, he works with customers to allow them to align their investment goals with their values and life's work. I was excited to speak with Zach, who has worked as an entrepreneur in the Bay Area for his entire career, beginning with building a warm farm immediately after finishing university. After a few other startup ventures, Zach built Carbon Collective as a way to accelerate divesting in fossil fuels and promoting investing in sustainability in a way that is more transparent for users and promises investment in real climate change solutions, not just greenwashing. In this episode, we will learn more about the green or climate investing landscape. Then Zach will walk us through the main challenges of current investing strategies and how most ESG funding is a step in the right direction, but still needs to be realigned with real listing climate change investing goals. 
Zach also explained the details of his business model, how he onboards customers, what stocks he chooses, and the market opportunity of Carbon Collective. Throughout this discussion, Zach provides an insightful perspective of how to invest in climate action in a way that truly allows us to not only to divest in fossil fuels, but fuel the 20-fold investment in sustainability needed to fight climate change. During the second part of the talk, Zach provides insight on fundraising for young climate tech entrepreneurs and how he has managed the work-life balance of being a CEO and a dad. Finally, he will share some of the books he has read that have been useful along the way. Zach, welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. I believe it's going to be a great opportunity to hear your story and learn more about uh, what you guys are up to with Carbon Collective. So welcome to the show. I am so glad to be here. Love the show and your work. Thank you so much. And so as usual, before we start, can you give us a 30 second introduction about Carbon Collective? So we are an investment advisor that is 100% focused on solving climate change. We help individuals like you and me align our retirement accounts and then also mission-driven businesses have their 401ks have options that align with their mission. So instead of forcing you to do things like invest in fossil fuels. So let's start from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? I mean, what are you passionate about? What do you do to, you know, what do you love to do besides building a carbon collective? As I always asked, like, you know, who is Zach? Oh, um, what a question. I'm, you know, asking myself that every day. Right now, my life is really simple. I have a five-month-old. His name is Caleb. He's incredibly oh, cute. Yeah. And um, I still feel like I'm living the a piece of advice I was given. This is my first kid. And someone told me um, that it was my wife's job to keep him alive. And it was my job to keep her alive in this phase. <laughs> and so I just feel like I'm in that. Like I have Carbon Collective, I have Caleb, and then I have my wife. And that's basically it. Like I haven't exercised in two weeks. Um, so Only two that's weeks? Right now. <laughs> two two know, months for right? me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also the you know, dad, but she's two, two and a half. And uh, believe me, I still support the wife and, uh, you know, for the better and good and, uh, and the daughter. So <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I this might just be me for a while. Um, I'm really into the uh, NBA right now, into basketball. I'm a big Golden State Warriors fan. We are in the Western Conference Finals. So that is, uh, if anything, I've been doing with my spare time. I also love to cook. Um, I've been vegan for the past couple of years. So I really enjoy the, the challenge of having a limited, a more limited menu of things to pull from um, to cook. And so I, I really uh, enjoy that as well. So tell us a bit uh, more about like, you know, different work and life experience prior to the launch of Carbon Collective. I mean, what did you learn along that, uh, that journey that in a way you would not have if you had a different, uh, you know, experiences? And I mean, what do you believe that gave you an edge to, to start Carbon Collective? Yeah, uh, we could do a whole podcast just on that question. I promise we won't. Um, yeah, I started down the path of sustainability in 2011 after graduating from college. Uh, my first business was a worm farm. So I was paying my rent in the Bay Area, literally shoveling shit for a living. And 
so I've been kind of an, on an entrepreneurial path. I've never worked for like a big corporation. I've kind of always been my own boss or working with others in it. Um, a lot of the learnings that I've had, it's A, is that learning is just, it's the whole point. Like so long and I looking back in the periods where I really felt like I was learning, that to me was the signal that I was on the right path. I didn't know where the path was going to lead me. I still don't. Um, but man, do I have such a cool job because the amount that I get to learn and challenge and grow uh, every day on such a fascinating topic is just really cool. So I think like that is something that's really stuck with me is it's like a level of faith um, rather than saying, I'm going to be here in 10 years about, and instead saying like, did I grow a lot? Am I a different person than I was a month ago? Okay. You know, don't need to make any major changes then. <laughs> Are you tra tracking that on a on a daily basis uh, with some uh, hiking tools, or it's more about like? Oh uh, God, no! To... I, I'm terrible <laughs> at all those type of tracking systems and things like that. I need it to be as as simple as possible, very qualitative. They're going here. I'm not an engineer by training, uh, in, in any way, so <laughs> not for me. <laughs> So in, in all of that, I mean, you, you mentioned yourself that uh, one of your first experience was like, uh, you know, raising those, uh, those worms and, uh, and farming them to, to pay your rent and stuff like that. But did you get like uh, any, I would, we call it more like a haha moment uh, that has been the driver for you to, to jump into the, the, the climate tech industry? Uh, any specific moment that you could recall as such or define? Like that? Yeah, I'm two specific moments. The first was living in the Bay Area and having grown up here, um, as I experienced climate change. Fire season was not a thing for my entire life up until I believe it was 2017. And then it suddenly overnight became a thing that we could expect every single year. That was such a sudden change. I remember the distinct moment of sleeping with my our windows open and waking up to smelling smoke and being like, what, why, what's happening? What's going on? And having go that go from like that being something that was an anomaly to being normal in that period of time really showed to me of like, oh, we are on, this is not a problem for my grandchildren. Um, this is happening now. And then that plus the 2018 IPCC report where we had kind of the most, in many ways, conservative body of scientists and not conservative politically, but in what statements they're going to make, come out and call climate change and our status in it to that level of dire. Um, that both of those really shook me. And, and um, you know, for James as well, my co-founder, leading us to kind of at the beginning of 2020, set out and say, hey, we want to be building something in this space. So before we start uh, going into detail about uh, Carbon Collective, we'd like to, to zoom out and kind of understand like the overall context uh, that you are surfing on. I mean, let's try to get your overview on the so-called climate finance landscape today and how as, you know, we as, as people concerned about climate change can in a way make sense of all of this. So I, I would like to start maybe with your opinion regarding uh, these larger questions that is also stated in, uh, in your website, like how can investing solve climate change? And maybe covering a little bit like the, the global amount needed, how much is currently deployed in terms of capital? I mean, who are the main players? Uh, how is it, how is this old climate you know, finance organized today? I mean, 
tell us a bit more about uh, about that yeah the reality when it comes to sustainable investing is we need it to work really well if we are going to solve climate change the science is very clear about what we have to do um, and we have to do two things over the course of the next 30 years we need to increase investments into climate solutions by 10 to 20 times per year over what we're doing now um, and this is just simple because we have to transition our economy from one that predicates on burning old plants to running all of it to not doing that and that only happens with investing climate is a problem we have to build our way out of and that just fundamentally requires capital and investment if we don't do that it's like not going to matter how many trees we plant like we'll still be just emitting just as much as we are now and then at the the other side of that is we basically need to stop investing in any new fossil fuel expansion and wind down existing investments to being you know something like a quarter of where they are today uh, by 2050 and having this really become an industry that is you know undergirding how our world works to one being that is very nascent and only holding up a few specific industries by 2050. So that is the playing field that all of solving climate change lives within. We cannot, investment should not be the only lens we look at it through, but it's an absolutely critical one that we do. Um, and we are still behind in that. So that investment takes multiple forms. There's going to be, you know, direct uh, investment. And so this is, you know, into, you know, financing debt to uh, put in more solar projects, um, the, you know, doing climate tech VC and helping these, you know, companies through equity get off the ground. Um, then there's more indirect, but also very important of like, where are your stocks and bonds held um, in your individual retirement accounts? Um, and how is your business orienting itself around this and its capital here? Um, we just believe that we broadly need to redefine sustainable investing to align with solving our most important issue with sustainability, which is climate change. And today, kind of just the landscape of what Wall Street often labels as sustainable or as ESG is not that. It is just a less bad version of the day, of today. And we need sustainable investing to do the opposite. It needs to look forward to the world that we have to build and say, okay, how do we plot that path to it? So what are the, the challenges and, uh, and opportunities that you see in the, in the market to accelerate this capital deployment and in a way clean up these uh, Wall Street bonds or stocks that are labeled? Uh, I mean, w what is blocking or slowing it down, this, this acceleration? I mean, is it because of need of new regulation that really push uh, those stocks to uh, you know, perform better or have more of them entering the, the, the more companies entering the, the stock market uh, or is it you know as I mentioned like a lack of alternatives um, return are not there or not meeting the expectation of regular investors or what is the I mean how do you see this uh, this this current situation yeah I think it's three things the first is that the legacy players have a ton of baggage and so it is really hard for them to fully embrace the reality of climate change let me give an example blackrock who is the largest asset holder in the world their ceo has come out and made you know some pretty forward statements in regards to climate particularly back in 2020 of saying this is a critical issue this is the issue of our time climate risk is something that every investor should be looking at okay progress 
BlackRock has many stakeholders, including fossil fuel companies. So uh, this just happened in 2022. The Texas Teachers Pension um, came out and said, we're going to find a new asset manager, BlackRock, unless you, you cut all this divestment talk. And so BlackRock came out and said, oh, yeah, of course, we are long term committed to fossil fuels. Like science just disagrees with that. Uh, and, and that sentiment. So I think it's really hard for especially these large asset holders or legacy ones to fully align around this reality and then build and educate trust around it. And the other two things that I'll say is that there are two narratives um, we don't often think about with investing. We think about, oh, what is the company's price to earning ratio and what's happening with this sector and the macroeconomics. But we don't factor that we all share underlying narratives in investing, that's a really important piece of the publicly available information that goes into like a company's stock price. And one narrative is that fossil fuels are a necessary evil in an investment portfolio for performance. And the other narrative is that sustainable investing is fundamentally an act of charity, that those who do it accept a worse financial return. And those are both wrong. And we believe the goal of the divestment movement, the tipping point, and we don't talk about this nearly enough, is to get to the point where people like you and me who are saying it is wrong to hold fossil fuels, we also are loud enough saying it is also financially stupid to hold fossil fuels, that we start getting capital with a capital C coming and saying, yes, we believe we will now make more money from divesting. That is the tipping point that where we will start to see that dramatic wind down and also that wind up. And so that's what we all need to be pushing for. So do you see any difference between like uh, the situation in the North America, US, Canada versus like Europe or the rest of the world? Do you see like there is any like appetite or you know ways to operate or maybe the amount of like stocks available to, to be traded on, uh, on the market that are maybe cleaner or that are maybe really sustainable. Uh, what is your take on that uh, you know, difference? Yeah, I think that there's opportunities everywhere and around the world. The general cultural approach, and this is often said in the circles around sustainable investing, that Europe seems to be a few years ahead of here in the US. Um, the type of pushback that we're seeing now in the US on ESG, and it's you know the fact that one company's ESG ratings will be completely uncorrelated from another company's ESG ratings, and this is very confusing space. Um, Europe is a lot further along in addressing that, calling out greenwashing where there is greenwashing, and building in systems to enforce that. So I'd say that's like the large difference that there is. I think that there's also... Um, some differences in uh, general approach to climate change in Europe, but there's also like, just like there is in the US, plenty of pushback. I mean, we're seeing escalating uh, oil prices and energy prices where you know you live. And there's a lot of natural pushback with a lot of response to saying, hey, we need to drill more mm -hmm. for this um, because people are hurting from that. And so um, there's, it's just, it's still, it's a politically challenging question, I think in both um, areas. So th that's something that you didn't mention, like what I was asking you, like, uh, you know, what could accelerate, uh, you know, this uh, cleaning up of the, uh, the, the stock, stock market in a way. Um, what's your take about regulation? I mean, where are we in, uh, in the US and like what needs to happen to, to create that change and accelerate that? Yeah. 
we absolutely need regulation and we cannot, I don't think that we should put all of our eggs in that basket. Um, you know, in the US, for example, uh, we can have pretty broad swings um, in terms of which political party is in power. And so we need, especially those who are climate activist investors to say, yes, we're always gonna be pressuring this and pushing further. And we need to also do what the things that are in our own control and power. And it, it is individuals that change the world. We believe this very strongly at Carbon Collective. When we got started, we conducted a bunch of interviews trying to understand where people's climate anxiety took them and where they got blocked. Investing was this place that we found again and again. But one narrative that came up again and again was people feeling angry and saying, I'm one person, I was born into a world run by fossil fuels. It was corporations and the government. Why should I do anything about it? And that anger is really, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of logical sense, but it doesn't fully close the loop from a theory of change perspective to us. Because, okay, if it's corporation and governments that need to change, it doesn't ask the question, well, then how do those groups change? How do you change a corporation or government? It does, it still comes back to the status quo only changes when enough individuals collectively change it. And so that is something that I don't think we should ever fully release that power. Advocacy and enforcing that on the government, again, that we should fully do that. We need to do that in corporations and we need to do that um, for our friends and, and those as well. We need to, it, climate solving climate change is a yes and activity, like an improv, it is not a no, but we do have to be, we have to have to prioritize because we don't have unlimited resources and we have to be strategic. Um, but that is, I think, how we see that groundwork of how regulation um, fits into this space. Mm -hmm. So to close, uh, to close this section, um, you know, as everyone knows, and uh, you mentioned that uh, that as well. I mean, there is always some controversy around like sustainable ESG, climate capital, or climate finance. So, according to you, what is the real impact of those uh, of those funds uh, and the amount of capital allocated towards uh, you know fighting climate change? Uh, and towards investment as, uh, as we're looking at uh, today. Are we, are we starting to see some direct results uh, of it? How, uh, is it? Or is it something like still like a, a buzz or greenwashing tool that big uh, investors can leverage, like you mentioned, uh, uh, Larry Flink from uh, um, you know, BlackRock, uh, to look better in a way and attract more capital under management? Uh, the unfortunate reality is that it's both. Uh, we try to, uh, our goal at Carbon Collective is to redefine sustainable investing, to make it clear that it needs to be aligned with solving climate change. Because right now it can get really hard to wait in. Let me give an example. There is a BlackRock fund that came out, I think it was last year. And it came out with, it was the uh, most pre-funded ETF ever in the US, it was over a billion dollars that had been put into it. And it was a low carbon transition fund. So who are the companies that are ready or will you know, be set to profit from the transition to a low carbon economy? All right, cool, cool prospect. All right, that's, uh, it, like, that makes a lot of sense that that should exist. One of the top 10 holdings, I checked this yesterday, is Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's companies. It owns multiple fossil fuel companies with Occidental Petroleum being the leading one. How does that make sense to be in there? That is part of the complexity and part of why we struggle with kind of 
the existing Wall Street options because there's always this level of saying, well, hey, just trust us. And like, oh, it's complicated. And yeah, it's based upon proprietary data. I'm sorry, we can't show you that. And that, it just leads to this place of confusion because ultimately, especially when you and I are looking to change our investments, we're looking for an emotional experience. I don't think we should go any way around that. It's different than like, you know, changing what I put into my body or what I wear on my body. That can be much more tangible or what car I have. What we're seeing is just a difference of dots on a computer screen. And so it is, I think the goal and what we are ultimately looking for when we're trying to say, I want impact with my dollars is how am I being connected to a feeling that I'm a part of something that's bigger than myself? And I think ex existing products really fail to do that and they don't fully embrace that that is what is underlying here. And you have to deliver on the on the return side of it. It, it. If it is seen and perceived as something that this is fundamentally charitable, that is the wrong bucket. We allocate money for charity outside of it. This is still your retirement savings that you're looking to do. We are seeing a lot of positives. There's a lot of things that aren't greenwashing out there. And we're seeing this by the acceleration of the leading climate techs right now. Renewable energy is taking off. Batteries are taking off. Electric cars are taking off. That is because of investors believing in their long-term prospects um, from a financial state. So there is a lot of positives that we're seeing, and there's still a lot of greenwashing and confusion out there. So let's go deeper into, uh, into Carbon Collective now. Like, I mean, you already started to uncover that a little bit, but uh, what is the story behind it? I mean, you mentioned that uh, you were doing those uh, customers' uh, discovery survey. I mean, for who is it and, and which gap did you identify uh, at first that uh, led you to the, the current version of Carbon Collective? I mean, why did Carbon Collective have to exist in a way? Yeah, so it, it was in that process of product discovery that we saw both from the bottom up this was through those interviews of seeing that again and again, people looked at their ESG investment fund and they were like, I don't get why this is in here. And so maybe they would say, all right, I'm not going to do my values focused or impact focused investing. And I'll just do like the really cheap Vanguard index fund or something like that. And I'll find access software, but I'm still not comfortable with it. We saw that again and again. Um, and at the same time, from the top down, when we looked at what do we need to do to solve climate change, it's so it was so clear to us that investment is this area that we really need to have clear eyes on as a world, um, and especially as an invest a community, the investment community at large. So that showed that if we could build investment vehicles and products where people said, okay, this is a smart way to invest something like my retirement fund, and I also can understand the clear theory of change of every part of what is in here, then we would likely be onto something and we'd also be set up to start re-educating the broader market at large. So that led us to what we were building. We started with a robo-advisor for individuals and then we started getting questions from those members saying, hey, I work for a climate tech startup or I work for a nonprofit and my 401k forces me to invest in fossil fuels. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And we looked into it we're like, oh, we can actually Help with that. So we then launched our 401k service to help climate focused companies, sustainability focused nonprofits be able to have investment options that also align with their mission, not just index tracking. So on the 
on the on the product side, if you could walk us through the, the customer experience, like how, how does it work? You mentioned like you know the four one k option, the robot advisor. So, like I want to sign up for Carbon Collective. Like, uh, tell me, I mean, walk us through the the journey. Totally. Um, we our onboarding experience is always a process of improvement. Um, as I think every onboarding experience should be. So I say that caveat, um, you would click sign up on our website. We would walk you through a survey to help you identify um, what is the right portfolio for you with us. We have two, we have our core portfolio. This fully divests from the industries that are technologically dependent upon fossil fuels. It gives their share to the companies that are building climate solutions and then broadly holds the rest so we could use our shares to pressure and engage those companies to transition to things like 100% renewable energy. Um, in general, these portfolios, we like them because they deliver a similar risk and reward to what you would get from a generic US-based index fund. We also have our climate only, which is a higher risk uh, and higher reward portfolio that's just climate solution stocks balanced just against green bonds. So we help you choose which one of those is the right for you. What is the right balance of stock and bonds for your investment goal? And then what is the right account for you to set up? Should it be a retirement account, a brokerage account, et cetera? Um, we use a third-party brokerage platform. This was one of the lessons as a founder for our past startup that James and I had. Um, it was a very technologically heavy startup. It was basically all tech risk. If we got it to work, we had customers lined up out the door um, for it. I had an amazing pipeline ready for it. We unfortunately couldn't get it to work. It was too hard of a technical problem. We had a great team with great investors. Um, and so we learned from that and said, all right, we need to do the opposite here. And let's make sure that we are only taking on tech risk or doing taking on engineering responsibilities after we've seen that there's a business here and that this is scaling. So we use a third party platform to manage our accounts. And so that leads to, in some ways, not like an ideal product experience right now, but we find it's generally good enough and we work to always be improving it um, until we can potentially go in onto our own. We do the same thing for our 401k. We are investment advisors. We partner with multiple what are called record keepers. They're the company that you would log into to see our 401k at, a, uh, at your company. Uh, so we partner with them and we take on the formal liability of building and maintaining those portfolios away from the record keeper, which they're like, take it. We, thank you. We don't want that. And then we get to come in and do all the education and stuff around it. And so it really is a win, win, win for the record keeper, us and the company, because they can get the portfolios that they want. And the record keeper is shielded from that responsibility and liability of creating those. So what was the, the accreditation that you had to, to get to start the, the, the business? And how long did it take you guys to put like the, the first uh, MVP prototype uh, in place? Um, I mean, what keeps you up at night, you know, today? What are the challenges that you are trying to uh, to change? You mentioned the onboarding process that uh, you constantly improve. Always. So that's uh, fantastic. But what else for uh, early stage founders? <laughs> yes. Um, we figured out what Carbon Collective had to be by June of 2020. That was kind of unlike, all right, we know what this needs to be. Um, we used a, a book called The Mom Test, which I'm sure has come up many times um, on this podcast. If you are a founder in product discovery, put every other book down and just read this one and do everything it says. 
It is the best for early stage product discovery. Um, so that's what we did. That's what we used to guide those interviews. And that gave us a lot of clarity of what Carbon Collective had to be. So we uh, settled on what that would be in June. We were live by November with that. So we went through the accreditation. We are SEC registered um, investment advisors. We took the proper tests that we needed to, to do it. We got onboarded with the right platforms. We built um, uh, and uh, back. Uh, tested thoroughly and got a thoroughly reviewed our portfolio strategies um, for that. So um, it was maybe about six months um, for that building process. It's quite fast. Congrats. Yeah, it's a, a, yeah, a, again, it helps. And this was a, from that lesson. Don't code if you don't have to. What can you use off the shelf to prove that there is a business here? And especially for us, this was, I think, one of the insights that we had is that when it comes to our product, its value is not some like AI bot that's picking stocks for you. If anything, that's counterproductive because that's doing the same mistake that Wall Street is doing, which where they're saying, just trust us. We know what we're doing here. We need the opposite. We need to have our portfolios be so transparent and be simple enough to explain that any of our members can be like, why is this in here? Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense in, in this overall narrative. And then it's all storytelling. Um, it, it is marketing and storytelling. And so that freed up the, both the capital and the bandwidth for us to constantly be iterating and uh, tr working to say, how are we telling this story properly? Um, and I think that that's really starting to pay off. So you mentioned transparency, and that's uh, definitely something uh, key in this kind of uh, you know service and, and, and business that you're you're growing now. But uh, speaking about the, the selection of the of the stocks uh, you're proposing, like how does it work? Like how do you ensure the quality, uh, the potential you know impact, uh, and I guess like the potential like you know or expected ROI. Uh, I mean, how do you select them? Are you conducting regular reviews? Yeah. Uh, do you have like a special process framework? Uh, or there's like maybe some third party, uh, you know, like a rating, uh, like equivalent of the rating agencies uh, giving you like some quotes, like how does it work? I mean, it's so opaque and smoky sometimes. Totally, totally. It is way too opaque. Uh, we don't use any third party data. We only use publicly available data. You should be able to, again, double check all of it and what we do. I'll take a step back and say, fundamentally, this is, again, from one of the lessons that we learned, coming into the space of sustainable investing, especially given our focus is on climate people. We are trying to, we win over the most skeptical people at first because they've been burned so many times. Uh, they are the ones who are most aware of greenwashing. But when we get them, they also become the best advocates. So that's who we're focused on. And that requires a level of detail and transparency because not everyone wants to go in the weeds, but some people do. And you need to have that ready for it. The phrase I like to use is carbon collective is guilty until proven innocent in the space that we are in. And so there's a lot that we have to do to overcome that. We build our portfolios, our core portfolios, uh, which is our flagship, in, in three ways. We start by divesting from those industries who are technologically dependent upon fossil fuels. So we look at what do you build fundamentally? How do you make money with that? And we look at the science. Is that corporate, is that industry, is it technologically over the long term dependent upon fossil fuels? 
Um, another way of looking at it is if we skip ahead to a zero carbon world, can this industry exist with today's technology or does it need a miracle breakthrough? So this is oil and gas, coal, petrochemicals, airlines, airline manufacturers, dirty utilities, cement and steel. We are seeing some movement on some of those fronts, which we will reintroduce um, on those stages. But that is, we're looking at it, just what do you build? Um, the second step is so that we get rid of those companies. We don't think it makes sense to hold them. We do not, not make, think it makes sense to hold Exxon to vote on them. I'm happy to share more on why. Um, the second step is we reinvest into the companies that are building climate solutions. And again, we use primarily what do you build as that metric. Um, and so we look at independent groups like Project Drawdown, International Energy Agency, Rewiring America, and we say, all right, what are your plans? You know, you guys do this. How do we how do we solve climate change? And what are the solutions within that that need to scale? Then we look at public markets and we say, which companies are building those solutions? We then go and look at the revenue of those companies. We don't use climate pledges or anything like that. These talk is really cheap. I don't care what your plan is by 2050. I probably care what it is by like 2023. Um, but we look at and say, all right, how did you make money last year? That is the best indicator of how you'll make money this year. If you made more money from building your climate solution, that is showing a trajectory to us um, that we want to hold. And so then, then you made money from products or services that were specifically built for the fossil fuel industry. Let me give an example of a company that doesn't make it or didn't make it last year. General Electric is the second largest manufacturer of wind turbines on the planet. Really important climate solution. They generate more revenue in 2021 from their natural gas turbine business for power plants and their jet engine businesses, both of which are product lines that are de fundamentally dependent upon the long-term use of fossil fuels for them. So therefore, we do not include them. We then take all the companies that make it through. We weigh them by their market caps. So we're not picking which solar company is going to win or lose. Then with step three is these are the, comp the rest of the stock market. And these companies, they are not mostly not sustainable today, but their core business is not antithetical to solving climate change. The example I often use is Coca-Cola. In a zero carbon world, there's no reason why Coke can't sell me a beverage using the secret recipe. It would just be doing so with 100% electrified fleet, 100% powered by renewable energy, and they'll be protecting their natural resources instead of abusing them. That to us is where we should engage uh, shareholders, because we're not saying Coke become a solar company. We're saying, keep doing the same thing you're doing. Let's just change the things behind the scenes about it. And if can we be in a position to reward you from a PR perspective if you do, and then also be in a position to do the opposite if you don't. So mm -hmm. that is how we build our portfolios and our theory of change um, around. So speaking about that, like how many, you know, uh, companies, stocks, made it to all of those uh, you know research and how many how many companies are you able to analyze uh, and go through this uh, this step-by-step -step, uh, process and framework before uh, in a way making it into the the pool of uh, of company like how long does it take you guys and uh, to, to to review uh, the stocks uh, how many yep. of them out of the, the total stock market i don't know how many companies are listed there but like what is the percentage of like the green, uh, you know, stocks that at least make the carbon collective or get the carbon collective uh, label, um, and maybe you can give us like the top five without like any uh, investment advice. Of course, of course. Um, 
so your so we update our portfolios annually. I'm trying to I was trying to think of like what was your first question there. Um, so yeah, it's a little it's question. A long, sorry. <laughs> no, uh, it's a long process of um, of looking at uh, going through our coming through the data. These were our results this year. What are the changes we're seeing this year? Um, how are we making sure that this is fitting our framework? So you know we're in the middle of that right now um, in what we're doing. Uh, we look at the entire stock market. Uh, this is specifically for our climate solutions. Um, so that's about 4,500 stocks in the U.S. Um, that we look at. And we just are focused on U.S. markets right now. Yeah. Um, and so last year, I can speak to how we built our climate solutions category. We had, I believe it was 352 companies that we identified of saying, hey, this company is building a cl climate solution. Um, uh, or it seems like it should, so we should investigate deeper. So that's and we ended, yes, as building a climate solution. This is mm -hmm. not, we remember, because we also hold that the, the gray area companies, these are the ones who are, you know, whose business model, they're not building a climate solution. This is the Coca-Cola's, yeah. um, but you know, their business can exist in a zero carbon world. So this is just mm -hmm. that step two, that part where we, uh, uh, divest and then reinvest into climate solutions. Yes, but less than 10% of the overall stock market is build, building climate solutions in terms of number of companies. Um, and then we uh, ended up with 169 of those, ended up making it into our climate solutions. And you can actually go into our website and you can click and see exactly which companies made it in and why, but also see what, of those 352, which companies did not make it in. And why it is to us our goal to give a level of transparency that you would never get with ESG or kind of other third-party proprietary-based decision models. Mm -hmm. With that, and is there any like independent reviewers like uh, that you know challenge your work too? So our goal is that we post our work completely openly. So anyone we have our members ask us questions all the time of why is this company in here. Or, you know, and there's borderlines. And this is part of the thing that we do too, is that the world is complicated. We were born, and, and the world is unfair. We were born into a hyper-capitalistic, hyper-individualistic system that was run by fossil fuels. Full stop. How pragmatically can we generate enough, as much change as possible? And you know, one of the ways is like, you can't assume that an IRA is charity. It still has to be aligned with meeting your financial goals. Okay, all right, now we know that. How do we then generate as much impact as possible and do that as pragmatically as possible? So we are always seeing our portfolios as a work in progress. I never want to say this is done. Um, mm -hmm. It should always be that way because we need to encompass the fact that that world is complicated. And it's not like every company that we say makes it into our climate solutions category is some paragon of excellence across all categories. We're not trying to say that um, these companies are also many of them have imperfections in you know how they're treating their natural resources how they are treating their employees their governance could be better they often all still have carbon footprints to some extent um, because we live in an imperfect world we need to choose where shareholders that we will engage with and who we will pressure to make moves there's an example recently i don't know if you saw this news but tesla last week was kicked out of the S&P's ESG uh, index. They're, uh, you know, ESG S&P 500. 
And that to us just really was did it was very head scratching because ExxonMobil is still in there, as are many fossil fuel companies. And the number one issue within ESG is climate change. That is pretty well known across the board. And so with them, they removed a company who's not perfect. Tesla has problems. So does ExxonMobil. Um, they removed a company whose core business, the way this company makes money, the reason for its existence is to accelerate the adoption of one of the most important climate solutions that we've had. We probably wouldn't be where we are without Tesla. We'd likely, I think, to give Elon Musk credit where credit is due, elect the electric car industry is likely years ahead where it would have been without him. I, I think that is broadly true. Um, so to remove that, but yet to keep in a company whose core business is predicated upon exacerbating the worst sustainability problem that we have, like ExxonMobil, really doesn't make any sense to us. No, definitely. So last question a little bit about like those, uh, the, the, the stocks and the, the selection of it. Like, what is the performance compared to like, um, you know, um, a regular index uh, on, on the stock market? I mean, how do they do? I mean, those stocks like performed. Uh, what's the return on investment? I mean, that I can expect. Uh, it's never like a, a science behind that. But what is like the trends that you saw so far? Of course, of course. Um, anytime you deviate from an index-based portfolio, anytime you deviate from tracking the market, you're gonna have deviating results. There's gonna be times that you outperform. There's gonna be times that you underperform. That's just part of making that decision. So we post our, our trailing five-year results on our website. So anyone, if you want to go to carboncollective.co, you can see them. We show all of the, the relevant metrics too. And I think we do a pretty good job of explaining what they mean, including being like, for this metric, higher is generally better or lower is generally better. Um, and we try to do some of that translation. Um, for folks. The thing that I'm really proud about and how we build our core portfolios is its risk levels and that you get that for a risk level, again, trailing back looking over five years, um, that is very similar to what you'd get for an index-based portfolio here in the US. Mm -hmm. um, wh what about, so I think your, part of your question too is a question of like, what should I expect in performance in the future mm -hmm. if I've made this switch? Um, the in the near term we don't know like we're seeing right now oil has had this huge rebound at the same time the fail failure to pass build back better has had a lot of green energy and climate stocks give back a lot of the gains um, that they had when we take a step back though and we look at some of the macroeconomic trends to us it seems fairly clear that investing in such a way makes sense and it can be hard to see but we see oil in particular as a fundamentally a business in decline, where it is being outcompeted in many of its historically dominant areas. I'll give an example. 50% of the oil that we use here in the US is on our roadways. Electric cars are a fundamentally better way of driving and getting you from point A to point B. They are safer, faster, roomier. They cost a tenth as much to maintain. You can drive a Tesla for over a million miles. And within the next five years, they are likely going to be cheaper to buy upfront. That is just a technology shift, like going from horse and buggy to a car, you know, film to digital, dumb phones to smartphones. When you just have a new technology, it it, it it switches. And this is just a fundamentally better technology for doing the same thing. So that's a lot of oil's market share that is going to go away. 
you know, same thing when we look at, you know, solar, wind and batteries on the electricity front. This is in many areas of the world, the cheapest form of generating electricity out there. So that's a lot of coal demand, for example, that is going away. And so when you look at from a macro perspective, which industries would you rather be invested in? Those whose market share is being eaten up by superior technologies or those superior technologies, again, barring any regulation, this is without things like passing a carbon tax and stuff like that. Any of that is just cream on top. This is just what is the fundamental economics of it? Um, to us, it makes a lot more sense to invest sustainably uh, and, and hold those over the long term. So thanks for, for sharing uh, all of that. So what's the, the current and expected economics of Carbon Collective? I mean, what's your business model, like your, your future projection? Uh, can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah. What's the fees? So, yeah, yeah. Fees are really important. So we charge the same as what you pay for Betterment or Wealthfront. That's basically what you pay with Carbon Collective. And this is a part of our theory of change, is that we could not get the amount of capital that we needed, that we need to invest sustainably if it costs more. Um, because that is a financial sacrifice. We have to remove every reason to say no to this type of investing. So we charge a quarter of a percent of the assets under management you have with us per year. Um, we do a similar thing on our 401k. Um, and so, you know, what's nice with Carbon Collective is that we are fundamentally trying to build an ecosystem where with the growth of each product that we have, and we're launching our own investment products in 2022. I unfortunately can't reveal more. I mean, like I, I actually just like literally can't from a compliance perspective, okay. uh, but we plan to launch our investment products within that. Um, that's gonna be additive to that ecosystem. And there's a lot of other areas that we uh, want to go into to try and bring this style of investing. And the more that we build, the more power that we'll get as a collective. One of those really uh, exciting places is gonna be voting. Uh, right now, we vote our shares in coalition with other groups like As You Sow, which is a Berkeley-based nonprofit. The more capital that we have and the further that we are along as a company, the more we're going to be in a position to lead on our own campaigns and voting. And the places we think that we should use that voting power is, again, not on getting ExxonMobil to try and pressure them to be a solar company. It doesn't make sense. They have customers lined up outside the door and they're operating on a 90-day business cycle. Why would they make any changes? We should not focus on the guy behind the counter. We need to focus on the line out the door and getting those people to go somewhere else. So that goes to our voting strategy of how do we pressure the Coca-Colas of the world? How do we get every big box store in the US to have solar panels on its roof? Because that makes financial sense for them and do that in a far more accelerated fashion. So no, not you know pledging to 2050, but 2025 when that executive team will still be here. How do we tie that and make that really tangible? And then the more wins we have in that, the greater levels of scale that we'll unlock, we'll get that positive press, we'll bring more people into the movement and do more to pressure and change and redefine what actually is sustainable investing. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, your competition? Any direct competitors in the, 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 in the space? Um, I mean, how, do you, how are you guys different? So, we get this question a lot. This is the number one question we get. It's starting to happen less, um, but in fundraising of, you know, well, why can't Betterment just do this? Or why can't they just rip off your portfolio and copy this? And this goes back to our thesis that sustainable investing, it is not a box to be checked on an investment platform. It is not an addition. It is a company to be built. 
Um, and that that is the level of trust that people are looking for in this space. It's like, I want to see people that this is all they do and what they lead upon. So when we look at the incumbents at the Black Rocks, the vanguards, the betterments of the world, they have far too much baggage to earn that trust. Um, I'll give an example. Betterment's climate impact portfolio has more fossil fuel companies than climate solutions companies in it. How does that make sense? It doesn't. There's not that actual connection. Um, it's marketing um, and it's greenwashing. And so that is where we've been able to see a lot of traction. And again, building trust is hard, um, but that's what we do. So that is kind of uh, is where like we see kind of where most people are today and where we see kind of that competition. Um, but we're not seeing folks there, you know, if, if some in the startup space, which are really exciting, uh, but it seems like we're going to be in a position to be more so complementary um, rather than competitive. Mm -hmm. So do you believe like uh, trust or building the trust and this community around, uh, around the company, that's your best way to be, you know, to, to, to stay defensible or like to defend the, the, the company? Yeah, I mean, in some ways to us, one of the ways that where we could see has Carbon Collective been successful is, does Vanguard copy us? Does BlackRock copy us? Have we been successful in our mission of redefining what sustainable investing means? Again, we come from a place where we don't have that legacy baggage. So we're able to build trust and loyalty. One thing that's been pretty exciting is even with the market downturn and even with our portfolios underperforming in 2021, which is like not a very fun email to write, but again, Anytime you deviate from the market, you're going to have times when you overperform and times when you underperform. We still have not churned a single member for being unhappy. People have made withdrawals because they've hit their investment goals. They like bought the house, they went to grad school, etc. cetera. Um, but uh, that has been really satisfying to see. And it really feels like we are building something that is on the path to being larger than ourselves, which again is... Uh, one of the secrets of, I believe, what anyone in the impact investing space is ultimately trying to do. Yes, financial returns are important um, and you need to have people feel smart in investing. But ultimately that emotional experience is saying, how am I part of something that is building our way out of this problem and that is built bigger than myself? And how does that make me feel about myself? So to close this, uh, this section, uh, what is the, the size of the market opportunity? I mean, like, and how are you guys planning to uh, to scale, uh, to capture? I mean, at least at the at the U.S. level. I mean, what needs to happen? Like, what are, what is the, the next steps for you guys to uh, to grow and scale a Carbon Collective? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of the uh, you know the VC pitch of the just like all right, ignore all the solve climate change stuff. Why will this make a lot of money? Um, uh, right now, millennials are the new dominant gener generation. We are the largest um, in the US. We are entering our peak earning potential um, and we are inheriting the largest amount of wealth ever accumulated from our parents, boomers. $68 trillion of wealth is expected to be passed down in the next two decades. The point at which wealth often changes where it is managed and where it has gone is in that transfer. And something like 70% like of, of people find new wealth managers. Um, for that. So that is kind of the playing field that we are operating in. And for millennials, unlike their parents and older generations, sustainable investing is incredibly important. In 2015, it was something like 70% of people said it was somewhat or very. In tw by 2019, it was 94% of that. And again, this is that space that Wall Street is just not able to deliver 
um, upon. So that is kind of the, you know these very large um, amounts of money and capital that are changing hands, where people are saying, what my parents did is not right for me. Um, and, and that's kind of what we are stepping into here. So um, what we seek to build is an entire ecosystem where investors of all level, from retail, we have folks who have $10 on our platform. We have no minimums. We don't want to ever put that because headcount is really important in how we are going to solve this and change what sustainable investing means. Um, and we're building up for uh, all the way to institutional investors um, can use our products and join our movements as well. Obviously also businesses is a really key constituent that I talked about with our 401k plans. So that is our goal um, is to kind of become in, in, uh, synonymous of climate, with climate investing. Um, with that because right now it's it's somewhat of an open category that is waiting to be filled as a company in a checkbox there um and so that's part of why coming on podcasts like this telling these stories is narrative is so important we cannot change this without changing the narratives around it so it's very much part of our mission so what's the step to achieve that i mean what you guys need to uh, to achieve in the next uh, 24 months to go to the to the next steps and hopefully in five uh, five to ten years reach that uh, that full capacity or maybe it's going to be in five years i don't know like uh, how do you see that uh, that road in front of you yeah so more than, right more than just now, <laughs> yes of course yeah so right now we're entering a, a period of growth this summer um is really important we're pushing really hard on our 401k program we've seen really we've seen we just bring a lot of value we're a really strong fit when a company says, hey, we are a mission-driven company, which means we hire mission-driven employees. We need to have mission-driven benefits. Um, we can come in often in, in some ways, even for a cheaper price and what they can get for other ways. So it's really a win-win and working with us. So we're working really hard to push on that, especially in the climate tech space um, and make sure because it's, it's absurd that if you work at a climate tech company, that you are forced to invest in fossil fuels through your 401k if you choose to participate. And that shouldn't be it just like it just doesn't make sense mm. so we're going to be um pushing very aggressively on that we've seen really nice growth this year um with that product and that service so doing a lot there i can't unfortunately share more about our other investment products that we plan to launch this year um again from a compliance standpoint um uh and on our robo on our individual side we're really seeing that start to take up uh, take off as well. And so that's building out the, those engines. Our content engine is really starting to work. Our SEO engine is really starting to work. We're seeing really interesting conversions on our paid ads and kind of building out a lot of those kind of classic B2C funnels um, on that front is going to be really important as we go into our next round. Thank you. So last question uh, for this first part. I know we're running a little bit of, out of time, but uh, you had so much to, to share. So uh, thank you so much. So what is your personal opinion on the on the climate crisis? I mean, uh, as I always ask, are we doomed? I mean, what would you say to, to people who are like afraid and seeing all of those visible uh, consequences? I mean, what would you tell them? Yeah. Um, on a personal level, I you know, can struggle with this. I have a five month old. It's really scary what is happening. Um, I also on a pragmatic level, just fundamentally do not believe that it is whatsoever useful to say we are doomed. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The moment that we do that broadly as a planet is the moment we are doomed. Um, and so that very much keeps me going just purely from that pragmatism. 
um, with it, of the, the world where we solve climate change will only come about when enough people imagine it and imagine it that being so. So that's where, again, storytelling is so important in that in adding agency there. There's a lot of positives that I also see kind of broadly out of that outside of that pragmatism. When we look at climate change, the really scary things are when we have those exponential escalating factors of it, melting permafrost, the ash from forest fires falling on ice, raising its albedo, causing it to melt faster, um, the changing of car ocean currents, and et cetera. Fucking, can I swear? Like, yeah, you know, absolutely <laughs> fucking terrifying. Um, we have exponential things on our side, too. This is on those rates of technology adoption adoption where we have just fundamentally better technologies that are here somewhat in the nick of time maybe a little too late but we'll play catch up that are just better ways of doing things than we do today it is not altruism to you know add solar panels to your house or to switch to an electric car it is often just better and we have when we have things like that we can see the history we get exponentials working on our favor in that of saying, yes, you have your early adopters and then your next stage, but then it really starts to take off with that. So we have things working for us. And so it's seeing some of those market forces um, where we don't have to change any aspect of the world. We don't need to say, oh, if only all of humanity felt deeply connected with nature, then we would solve climate change. Of course, that's also not going to happen in the next 30 years. So part of the questions we ask for ourselves at Carbon Collective is if we assume the fewest changes on a macro level, to how our global system works, how do we still get to remaining, um, to get to where we need to be in 2050 to avoid catastrophic escalating warming? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's things like that that give us a lot of hope. Fantastic. I like, uh, you know, it's always regenerating for me to uh, to hear like, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, investors in the space, always like balancing the, you know, the, the, the tragedy that we're on, but also the hope and uh, the fact that uh, Doing something is uh, definitely uh, the way to the only way to go in a way. So, how can the listeners uh, of the show, like investors, founders, uh, experts, uh, can help you? Yeah, um, helping us spread the word and the narrative, um, changing how you invest, whether it's with Carbon Collective or not, and push back on is sustainable investing dumb? Um, it is not. This is, I think, one of the most important narratives to be sharing over the next few years is the level of opportunity that there is have. Every problem is an opportunity in disguise, a very famous phrase. Uh, this is something that, again, pragmatically, the more that we can change that narrative, the faster that we'll be in a position to solve because the more resources we'll have uh, available for us to solve it. So push, push, push on that. Sustainable investing is not charitable. Over the long term, it is likely a much smarter way to invest. Any question that I did not ask you that I should have for this uh, first part of the show? I don't think so, man. <laughs> thank you so much, Dag. Uh, thank you so much for, for your time, uh, your inspiration, uh, your story, uh, what you do with uh, Carbon Collective. I think it's, uh, it's very exciting. and. Uh, and very necessary as well. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you can also uh, expand to uh, to Europe. That's uh, where I'm based now. I left the US recently, so uh, I'm like, oh damn, <laughs> maybe I should go back. <laughs> but thank you so much for uh, for everything that uh, that you did for uh, for us uh, and that you're doing for the for this world to make it a better place. So thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for having me and for the work that you're doing and telling these stories. If you heard me say a million times, narrative is so important here and we can't do it without people like you. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate tech ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.